Demons Discuss, Take 72, The One with the Congregation Revelation. Welcome to Demons Discuss, the unofficial podcast about the All Souls universe and the topics that orbit it. We are your hosts, Angela, Jean, and Valerie. I'm Valerie, and with me is Angela and Jean. Hello. Hello. Hello, everybody. What are we talking about today, Jean? Chapter four of the Book of Life. Um, yeah, <laughs> What's it about? Family meeting time. <laughs> <laughs> it's family meeting time. Good cover, good cover. Can you tell us more? Yes. <laughs> I would love to, except I decided today is the day we're all going to go in blind and explore this chapter together. <laughs> yes. We did no pre-work for this. We're going to see how this goes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Unbeknownst. See, we, we did the buddy system here. Like, well, I'm not going to do it because Jean will have read it. And Valerie always makes notes. So I can, I'm just going to go in blind. And here we are. Yeah. All of us did the same thing, saying the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> Angela would have read it. <laughs> oh, somebody read it. I don't know. Well, okay. We all did read it, but that was a couple years ago. Yeah. A few years ago. Maybe four years ago. I don't know. When it came out, when it came out ago. <laughs> yeah, like six years ago. Six years ago. Yes. So this is a fresh look for all of you. Really, really fresh. Like, <laughs> like steak tartare fresh. <laughs> Uncooked. <laughs> Dig in, guys. Okay, and that's just what we're going to do. Oh, my God. Uh, We'll see how this turns out. And if it's bad, we'll go back to preparing better. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) I have a feeling even if it's not bad, we're going to go back to preparing better. (laughs) Yes. Okay. So, you know, bear with us. We'll call this an experiment. It's an adventure. Adventure. Yes. An adventure in learning. Oh, I put new tires on the wagon, so we should be okay. You did not put a fresh map in the glove, though. No! <laughs> so we're winging it! All right. Yeah, Siri! Siri, take the wheel! Oh I'm sorry. Oh, goodness. Well, for all of our non-preparation, this podcast is sponsored by our patrons. <laughs> We use Patreon to fund our endeavors. You wouldn't think it costs so much to run a podcast, especially after what we just told you. (laughs) 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 Clearly they don't pay for our preparation, but they do pay for uh, support of actually producing this. Yes, yes. I'm going to let you know it could be as cheap or as expensive as you want it to be. But for us, quality audio is important. And that takes equipment, software. And for us, and when I say us, I mean me, the sound library we have isn't cheap. I love my sounds. Uh, So we need to buy licenses for royalty-free clips. And then there's the domain and then the website and the services we use. So if you want to hear the difference, go back to like episodes one through four. (laughs) And you can clearly hear there is a difference. Um, If you don't hear the difference, then frankly, we were wasting our money. But you'll hear it, I guarantee you. (laughs) Also, added bonus, it keeps our podcast ad free. So Angela, tell the people what they should get if they decide to become a patron. Well, you get the patron exclusive after show that's produced in our off weeks. It ranges uh, various topics, but then you also might get to hear extended discussions. So for instance, if we say, let's talk about that in the after show and it's a continuation of what we started in the public show but we get into a little bit more nitty and gritty in the after show Um, you also get various sway at different levels so it all depends on your level and what you'll get 
But last but not least, and certainly not least, is the quarterly roulette drawing. So everybody, regardless of your level, gets entered into a drawing and you win a prize of our choosing. Yay! Yay. I think we have to do a drawing because it is June. <laughs> I think we said that last time. <laughs> it's time for yet another drawing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So we're going to do it. We are going to do it. I think this time we are going to give out a package with our Fitzio 2020 stuff. I like it. Like a tote bag. We now have these vinyl stickers that you can put in your back car window. You know, the Fitzio 2020. We have the enamel pin. We'll give that out. And a mask. Yes. I have yes. all of that. And if you people are not interested in committing to Patreon and you want to support us, we do have our Fitzio 2020 merchandise. You know, if you want to say, fuck this shit, I'm out to 2020. And we all do. Uh, go check yeah. it out at DemasDiscuss.com slant Fitzio 2020. And if you're interested in becoming a patron, you can go to Patreon.com slant DemasDiscuss. And that's it for that. Yay. Discusser emails clearly our discussers are way more prepared than we are. Mm -hmm. So let's hear what they have to say. (laughs) I have an email from Zoe. Hi, Zoe. Zoe. She says, hi, Angela, Jean and Val. So glad you're back on the wagon, even though I completely understand and concur with the break. Space in the back for a little one? I promise I won't keep asking. Are we nearly there yet? (laughs) (laughs) On to chapter four. I decided to base my thoughts on my favorite part of the chapter where Diana and Isabeau visit M's grave at the Temple of the Goddess. Isabeau mentions the White Heart sleeping there, which prompts Diana to share her memories of visiting the temple with Philippe. It also kind of follows on from my last email about my favorite part of chapter three. So I was listening to chapter four on the audiobook, and something sent me rushing to check my other versions of the Book of Life. Kindle, Kindle app, UK paper book. All the same. Hmm. What am I rambling on about? The wording of Philippe's letter to Diana changes from chapter three to four. In chapter three, the words Diana reads are, do not let the ghosts of the past steal the joy from the future. In chapter four, when she shows the note to Isabeau, it says, do not let the ghosts of the past rob the future of its joys. Hmm. I guess this is an editorial continuity error, although it's only a few pages later. I wonder what the arc says. The sentiment is the same, of course, but I still prefer the first version. Your thoughts? Well, that's all for me for now. Your journeyman demon, Zoe XO. Yeah, interesting. It's the book of life, AB negative. Oh, goodness. Okay, so anyone have the arc available? I do. I do. Go ahead, Jean. Yeah, it's in chapter four, I think she said. Yeah. And it's towards the end? Mm Mm-hmm. Scrolling forever. (laughs) I think chapter Hmm. four says the same thing. Oh, interesting. So if you put in do not search, uh, do not let the ghosts... Chapter three says, do not let the ghosts of the past steal the joy from the future. Chapter four says, do not let the ghosts of the past rob the future of its joys. Yep. Stay the same. Mm -hmm. Definitely a continuity error. Yep. It does carry through in the arc, Zoe. So yes, it's something that was missed. Good catch. Yeah, no doubt. Yep. Good catch. Jean, what do you have? I have a discusser email from Cassidy. Hi, Cassidy. She's new. Hello. Welcome. Hello. I want to say I just love, love your podcast. The past month, I've been binge listening to the podcast. And then when I ran out of those, I moved over to the Patreon episodes. Please keep doing what you're doing. Ernst, what were your impressions? First, he seemed like an understanding husband. I noticed that most vampire significant others are a little old school and prefer to keep the women out of the argument. But here comes Ernst finding loopholes so his wife can be part of the discussion. Vampire spouse of the year. Mm. Baldwin's decision. After reading the books, Baldwin was a character I related to. Yay! 
Yay. I was a little disappointed to find out a lot of the people in the fandom didn't feel the same way. You and me both, Cassidy. (laughs) Baldwin's decision to let the congregation search Septours, in my opinion, was a good one. Not only are they not going to find anything, it would get the congregation off of their back. Isabel being offered as a hostage was another opportunity to not only get the congregation off their back sooner, but, spoiler, also being able to spy on Bear. I'm waiting for the day that Baldwin will get some recognition from his family for solving Matthew's problems yet again. Mm. Hashtag Baldwin bus. <laughs> Thank you for letting me be part of this ride. Love you guys. P.S. I'm located in Dallas, Texas. Hey, Jean. Cassidy. Hey, nice. Cassidy. Hey, Cassidy. Yay. Hope you're staying safe like we all should be right yeah. now. Ooh. <laughs> yeah. To put us on the timeline, Texas is... Uh... COVID don't care if it's summer in Texas. Yeah. <laughs> Everything's bigger in Texas, including the assholes. <laughs> Sorry. And the COVID <laughs> cases. We're about, yeah. yeah, we're about to go back on lockdown, is my prediction here on the 27th of June, 2020. If we're on lockdown by 4th of July, I will not be surprised. Yeah. Hmm. I mean. Because people don't listen. Hmm. Well, stay safe, Cassidy, and welcome to yep. Discuss or Dumb. <laughs> yeah, I was just about to make comments. I'm like, ah, it's okay. Save it for the, <laughs> save it for the after show. Pro- yeah. Yeah, probably probably order some masks. You know, if, I think it's still buy three and get the fourth one free. Yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> um, you and I are both going to need them. <laughs> hey, I recommend, you know, the Mad, Bad, and Dangerous to Know. Also, the Fuck This Shit, I'm Out 2020. Those are good masks. So, you know, hey. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yes, and also Illustrated has some lovely De Clermont um, shield patterns. Shield yeah. shield patterns with Matthew Seal and the Fleur de Lee. Yes. And I did go off the reservation and order a Joy Division one too, but that's a whole other story. Hey, I ordered one from Coach. Coach Outlet is having a sale. Ooh. Ishaki <laughs> has one right now and it's beautiful. It's like a combination mask scarf oh, and it's, oh, yeah. it's the moon and the stars. Are you why Ishaki I'm... comes up in my feed? <laughs> Probably. It, it is, it is <laughs> beautiful. So it, thank you for searching. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I think it comes, I think it comes up in my feed because Sierra sent me one. Oh, because she had a really cute dress with pockets. So that's how it ended up on my face. (laughs) Blame Sierra Simone. (laughs) Nice. Okay, so my discusser email is from Chloe, our vampire down under. Chloe. Chloe. She says, hi, Demon Divas. Hope all is well with you. In my state of Australia, we haven't had any new cases for 28 days now. That's fantastic. Yay, Australia. They're doing it. We're not. (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) We're so not. We're so not. Um, Okay, so here we go. Matthew being the family assassin was fairly shocking when I first read it. I couldn't believe that there was yet another part of him that he had kept hidden. By now, yeah, you should expect it. Yeah. (laughs) It was surprising, but not surprising. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, Okay. And, um, you know, our vampire done under doesn't find Baldwin so enthralling, so... You know, we're open demons. We're going to listen. I found Baldwin so irritating in these chapters. I could quite happily have had Matthew bite him. (laughs) I found the meaning between him and the family interesting with the dynamics. How scared Varen and Baldwin are of Matthew when he's angry. Yeah. Well, you know, Matthew's a little bit off the charts. Unhinged. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I like the fact that he has so much power over the family. Yes. 
Okay, that's all from me, demons. I hope you're all okay and maybe break out the vodka for those bad days. Your vampire done under Chloe. It's gin, yeah, Chloe. No, with, <laughs> gin. Yeah, no, with the vodka. No, vodka. with vodka because yes. we don't want to hold Angela's hair. Yeah. <laughs> nope. Ooh, nope. Cat kills with the curator the of the Frick last night was a, a plain gin and tonic. Ah, oh. see? That's perfect. Yeah. Oh. Perfect. I'll make sure I put that in the show notes too. So I like differing opinions and I welcome them and I like hearing them. But Chloe's email, I could have easily swapped Matthew's name for Baldwin. (laughs) And and that's my opinion. (laughs) Yeah, it's all perspective and where you're coming Uh from. Absolutely. But I thank her for the opinion. I like seeing other perspectives. Uh Yes. Yeah. And I I don't know, as far as Matthew's concerned, if it's so much power, the fact that he's such a loose cannon. And I I see where she's Mm -hmm. coming from here. It's like where Mm -hmm. when you have that unhinged person, right? Yes. (laughs) Everybody tiptoes around him and that gives that person power. True. Yeah. It's the the eggshell effect. Yes. Yes. So, And in all fairness, they did exploit it for many, many years. Yeah. Yeah. So it kind of bit them in the ass a little bit. (laughs) It's like, wait, you wanted me this way. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But But you don't want to deal with it? Okay. Got it. Let's start the wagon here. This chapter discussion is brought to you by Leah Tedro. Thank you, Leah. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, well, here we go. <laughs> we left off in chapter three with Diana's cords going nuts. She leaves us with this quote. It was supposed to be the weaver. But would I ever comprehend the tangled web that Philippe de Clermont had been spinning when he made me his blood sworn daughter? And that's when we left off. Now we're entering this chapter totally fresh, totally new. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm not going to ask you guys, hey, what did you think of this? Because we don't have fully formed thoughts yet. (laughs) (laughs) I think it's going to be a revelation. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so let's just start. Diana sitting, I'm going to set the scene. Diana sitting at the kitchen table. Mart had just fixed her her breakfast. Matthew's just sitting there. Diana has some questions. Here we go. Were you ever going to tell me that you were the de Claremont family's assassin? And then Matthew looked at her in silence across the kitchen table. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, normally I would rail on Matthew for saying, you know, he's always telling half truths or omitting facts or not telling her straight out. But I don't know. Now that I think about it, I'm feeling generous today, I guess, because the first 40 days, that's awfully quick to be revealing all that stuff to somebody. And then yes, well, yeah. the past, which is another six months, let's say. But yeah, at some point right. it should be and <laughs> put a pin in that. But <laughs> I'll tell you later. <laughs> OK. And along the same lines, the whole, you know, when are you going to tell me you're you're the family assassin? It's like, well, he also hasn't been used as the family assassin that we know of since Philippe died. I mean, technically that's his job, but emeritus. (laughs) Right. We don't know that he's been used as the family assassin, but... Yeah, we don't know the last time he was a family assassin. Yeah, so it's very... Hmm. So when he went off, okay, we're talking about the book. When he went off to kill Jillian, was that part of his must destroy her part? You know, mm-hmm. I must destroy this woman because, hey, that's all he's been doing, right? right. So Yeah, but is that, is that his, in his role of the family assassin? It's more like, well, yeah, I've got the ability to do this and she's a threat. Yeah. I mm-hmm. mean, because the, being the family assassin implies that you're doing things at at the behest of another. Right. And here he just, he actually made the decision to just go ahead and do it. Well, maybe he saw it as I'm doing this at the behest of Diana. Yeah. Whether she asked for it or not. (laughs) There's a can of worms. (laughs) To me though, there's a huge can of worms. Assassin 
for me is linked to blood rage. For him killing yeah. Jillian, that just linked to the behavior of a predator or a vampire. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Oh, so she goes on. She's got more to say. And Fernando's relationship with your brother. I was raised by two women. You couldn't possibly have been withholding that piece of information because you thought I might disapprove. And then Hector and Fallon look at Matthew for an answer. When none was forthcoming, the dogs look back at me. So it's a nice volley. (laughs) I'm going to give him another. I'll give him another pass on that, Mm -hmm. too. It's kind of like, yeah, why it's a brother you're never going to meet. And it has nothing to do with anything. And Fernando had been apart from the family all of this time, including to the point where he just turned he turned down the grandmaster. Right. You know what? I have fifteen hundred years of baggage, lady. What do you want? Yeah. From me? Right. <laughs> yeah, and we were all we were all kind of distracted in, in Elizabethan England with other shit. Right. Yeah. I mean, sometime at some point in time, right? They have this mode of communication where she uses her witch's kiss to see things. Mm-hmm. At one point in time, she needs to sit down, download all that information, and then sort through it at her leisure because <laughs> be like, it'd be well, an easy question, you know, yeah. easy answer, question, answer thing here. Or even if she's just skimming to see what's on his mind, that clearly wasn't on his mind. So it was not like he was purposely no. yeah. trying to hide it from her. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, is that even something that's... Mm-hmm. And so she goes on. Varen seems nice. Mm-hmm. And now she's just trying to poke <laughs> yeah. him, right? Yeah. <laughs> And Matthew's like, nice. Well, except for the fact she was armed with a knife. And here comes the boob knife. Right. And then Matthew corrected her. Knives. She had one in her boot, one in her waistband, and one in her bra. (laughs) (laughs) Boob knife. There you go. Mm -hmm. And Diana wants to know, was Varen ever a Girl Scout? And it was her time to, you know, lift her brows. Yeah. So before Matthew could answer, uh, Galaglass shot through the kitchen in a streak of blue and black, followed by Fernando. Matthew scrambled to his feet. When the dogs got up to follow, he pointed to the floor and they immediately sat down again. Finish your breakfast and go to the tower. Then he vanished. Take the dogs with you and don't come down until I come and get you. Diana's like, whoa, what the fuck here? And she's like asking Mart, what's going on? Mart's answer is like, yeah, Baldwin's home. So, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Implying that this happens when Baldwin is home. Yeah. I don't know. And uh, Diana says, Marcus, where is he? Mart's like Philippe's office. I do not think Matthew wants you there. There may be bloodshed. (laughs) Diana's like, yeah, story of my life. Let's go. Excuse me. Let's go. (laughs) And uh, she runs into Varen. Varen's like, where do you think you're going? And then she's Diana's like, well, Philippe's office. And Varen said, Matthew told you to go to his tower. He's your mate. You're supposed to obey him like a proper vampire wife. And then it goes on to talk about her accent, but we're not going to cover that right now. Diana volleys back and she says, what a pity for all of you that I'm a witch. Yeah, that's true. And then she goes to Ernst, sticks out her hand and says, yeah, Diana Bishop, how you doing? (laughs) (laughs) And Ernst is, you know, he's nice. He's like, Ernst Newman, I'm Varen's husband. Why not let Diana go after him, Shots? That way you can follow. I know how you hate to miss a good argument. I will wait in the salon for the others. Ernst is, he's seen this movie before. Yeah. Yeah, he He's just like, yeah, okay, I'll go in the salon. It's fine. Um, (laughs) Varen's like, good idea, my love. They can hardly fault me if the witch escapes from the kitchen. And, you know, Ernst talks her down from the tree. So that's cool. And Diana did note it was obvious that she and Ernst were deeply in love. 
Well, what I love is like he knew what she wanted and he figured out a way for her to get it without them. It's kind of like the Isabel thing. Yes. Yeah. The plausible. Yeah. They they just formulated between the two of them the plausible deniability right there. Mm -hmm. Here's how we're going to get through this. Which is so much fun. Right. Here's how we're going to get around the roadblock. (laughs) And this way it keeps your ass clean. I'll sit here. You do this. And this way it's under the cover of, I was just keeping an eye on her. (laughs) (laughs) So the fact that he he had a good idea, uh, Ernst replies, I have them occasionally. And then he goes, now, before Diana runs off and gives you chase, tell me, shall I take a knife or a gun with me in case one of your brothers goes on a rampage? So (laughs) this tells us this family does nothing by half. No. When they fight, (laughs) there are knives involved. There's there's no calm conversation. So Varen considered this matter and she says, I think Mart's cleaver should be sufficient. I know. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, just take the cleaver. It was enough to slow down Gerbert, and his hide is far thicker than Baldwin's or Matthew's. Okay. So that just tells us that we've been here before, and Gerbert was... And Gerbert was involved, which is like, okay. (laughs) And Diana's like... All right. You took a cleaver to Gervais. All right. <laughs> yeah, I, I kind of wanted her to high five him. And Ernst was like, uh, that would be an exaggeration. Varen says, I fear that Phoebe is trying diplomacy. Like, ha ha, that's funny. Yeah, yeah, yeah this is going to work. <laughs> that never works with Baldwin. We must go. And Diana says, if Ernst is taking a knife, I'm taking the dogs. And then she clicked her fingers and Hector and Fallon set off at a fast trot following her. So the second floor landing that led to the family apartments was crowded with concerned onlookers when they arrived. Nathaniel, a round-eyed Sophie with Margaret in her arms. Hamish in a splendid silk paisley bathrobe. (laughs) Very nice. And only one Uh side of his face been shaved. And Sarah, who appeared to have been woken up by the fracas. Isabeau exuded ennui as if to say this sort of thing happened all the time. And I can see her totally rolling her eyes like, oh, geez, here we go. So everybody in the salon, and this is Diana, she's telling Sarah, Ernst will join you. And Hamish is like, I don't know what set Marcus off. And Baldwin called for him. And it all seemed fine at first. And then they started shouting. So they get to the room and the small room that Philippe had used to conduct his business was filled with vampires and testosterone. As Matthew, Fernando and Galaglass all jostled for the best position. Baldwin sat in a Windsor chair and that tipped back so he can cross his feet on the desk. There's such a missed opportunity here. <laughs> <laughs> I digress. I know. <laughs> I'm going to keep going. Gene, you jerk. Oh my God. I'm such a jerk. <laughs> Okay. Uh, who's your daddy? Uh, <laughs> you have such a choice here. Uh, Sounds like okay. fanfic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Mine's always going, always going. I can't keep up. Okay, spinning. here we go. It's spinning. Uh, Marcus leading on the other side of the desk. His color high. Marcus's mate for the petite young woman standing nearby was the one I dimly remembered on our first day back. Phoebe Taylor was trying to referee the dispute between the head of the de Claremont family and the grandmaster of the Knights of Lazarus. Now, here we go. Phoebe, really? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) 
Mm, okay, she means yeah, um, well. Yeah, and hello, didn't we see this scenario before and it ended very, very yeah. badly for the human woman who was dumb enough to do this? Yeah. Maybe Marcus didn't tell that story. Yeah, well, I'm also wondering, is is this a really subtle way of signaling that, yeah, the whole reason that happened was because of the blood rage and nothing else? Because yeah. you've got two vampires and human woman in the middle trying to yeah. jump in yeah. involving Baldwin, but there's no death this time. <laughs> right, because it, it's implied that Marcus has more control over himself. Yes, than Matthew did. Than Matthew did, but even so, Phoebe, that's a lot of trust you have on Marcus that he can beat Baldwin. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, oh, that's foolish. Yeah. And then knowing her, and this t- all ties back to the comment about the she's going to try and use diplomacy, and that's not going to work. Yeah. From Baron and Ernst, she had an awful lot of faith in her own ability, a little too much. Yeah. And enough, and I don't know where she got the idea that Baldwin would restrain himself. Um. Well, I mean, she's just a she's she's a, she's an expendable human right now. I'm gonna go with uh, what we discussed before we turned our mics on. People do what works for them, yeah. so that probably yeah. has worked in the past for her. I'll save the yep. day. I'm going to bust in and use common sense, and they'll listen. <laughs> Even though I'm like 23 and just have become familiar with common sense, in yeah, the last 20 minutes. Maybe that <laughs> maybe that is what she knows. Her father is a diplomat. Yeah. And yeah. that's the rub right there. She's 23. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And what don't you know at 23? You know everything at 23. Yeah, exactly. Yes. <laughs> it's, it's, when you, it's when you turn 30, you, you realize you don't. Yeah. I know nothing. <laughs> <laughs> Holy crap. Yeah. Man, what was I thinking? Okay. So Baldwin comes in and he's like, this strange household of witches and demons you've gathered must disband immediately. And Crash. Uh, <laughs> yes. I kind of like, I, I, this, I hope they keep the scene and I just love the idea of the, the chair going pop on the floor. Yeah. His chair dropped to the floor with a bang. Mm-hmm. Marcus says, Septor belongs to the Knights of Lazarus. I am the Grand Master, not you. I say what happens here. <laughs> You're not the boss of me. <laughs> like, good for Marcus, though. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and Matthew is here to rein him in because he knows how these fights wind up with Baldwin. Yeah. Leave it, Marcus. Matthew had his son by the elbow. And Baldwin stood. If you don't do exactly what I say, there will be no Knights of Lazarus. Oh, jeez. Marcus is like, stop threatening me, Baldwin. You aren't my father and you aren't my master. <laughs> the funny thing is, it's like he sounds like Baldwin's going to just take away his toy to, to you know teach him a lesson. But I think his point here is if you keep pushing it, they're going to disband them. And, you know, yeah, it's I can't stop them. Yeah. The fact that he's on the congregation and he knows the whole other side of this. He's like trying to gain control because you guys have done all of this. Uh, how am I supposed to keep this family safe mm-hmm. when you guys are just doing this shit? I totally get it. Yeah. It's like, God. <sighs> so Baldwin says, no, I am the head of this family. You will listen to me, Marcus, or accept the consequences for your disobedience. I mean, the end. Do you think that's it? The Knights of Lazarus are still around just for a power balance and for uh, asset holding? I mean, because what so. do they do? <laughs> In, in yeah, 2009 or 2010. I think they basically the Bank of de Claremont. Yeah, <laughs> they were until Matthew, until they time walked, Matthew, they didn't even have like a full full roster. Yeah. No. Because I'm thinking even if he dissolved the Knights of Lazarus, who cares? You could still assemble as your own group. I mean, we'll get to that in yeah. a little bit. Yeah. But, I mean, it seems like it's only here as a power play to balance the head of the family and to hold certain assets. That's what it's around for. 
But the question becomes is if they, they make the move and somehow have a loophole to dissolve them, the assets may revert to the congregation like what the Pope and the King of France tried to do with the Knights Templar, except for the fact that Galaglass loaded it all up on a ship and <laughs> sailed it off yeah. to Scotland. Right. And, okay, here's the question I have. Does the congregation supposedly not know? I mean, I know it's whispered among the members. They don't know about the, officially they don't know about the Knights of Lazarus. They're not supposed to know. Right, correct. Okay. Yeah, so you think the assets would go to the head of the family, which that's the wrong. So Baldwin had just said, you will listen to me, Marcus, or accept the consequences for your disobedience. And Phoebe's like, why can't the two of you just sit down and talk about this reasonably? (laughs) Wait, can I, I'm sorry, I have one more question on my mind. Sure. So it always seemed like Philippe was the one to appoint the Grand Master and he was mm-hmm. he, he was the head of the de Clermont family so just because it went to Matthew and now Matthew only Matthew gets to decide who the head of the, who the Grand Master is yes he passes it on mm-hmm that's my impression. Yeah. He, he was the one who decided. But it so. seemed like before it was always Philippe deciding. Yeah. Philippe was head of both. Okay. Was he always the one deciding or was part of it? He was the Grand Master during World War II. And that's why he decided that Matthew was going to get it and Baldwin wasn't. To keep the balance. Unclear, but I'm just saying this, it's kind of unclear. Yeah. I feel like Philippe was like, okay, I'm keeping the balance between these two organizations. I've got kind mm-hmm. of split interests here. When he's about to go and he knows he has to hand off the responsibilities. Yeah. He gives it to Baldwin. I feel like he's scared that Baldwin will have too much power yeah. if he gives him the knights as well. Yeah. So it was kind of a balance of power. Yeah. And I, I also think it was part of the thinking was, is give them both the thing they're not the best at to make them better at it. Because yeah. Baldwin hates diplomacy and he put him on as the member of the congregation, which kind of made him fight with his non-dominant hand, so to speak. Right, right. Same thing with Matthew, who's not the greatest strategist, who's <laughs> had to figure out the strategy of what to do with the Knights of Lazarus. Yes. And in both cases, you would surround yourself with good people. Mm-hmm. But here's the sad thing about that. As the member of the congregation, that position is kind of built to be a solitary one. Yeah. Whereas you've got a chain of command with the Knights of Lazarus. And like you said, you can build a good team. Mm-hmm. Yes, that's true. And so. then Baldwin being the head of the family, he knows what's going on in the congregation. So he can kind of keep eyes on there. Mm-hmm. And if you think about it, the way Philippe split it up, it's kind of brilliant, really, yeah. because he's got this organization over here. It's running as an independent entity and Baldwin is holding down the family honor mm-hmm. and He's got his eyes on the congregation. Here's the funny thing about making Matthew the head of the Knights of Lazarus. He didn't actually have to do anything other than hand it off. Yeah. Right. Which I think Philippe set it up that way on purpose when he told him, do not avenge me. Yes. Mm. Yeah. 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 So there we go. It was never his intention that he actually act as a grandmaster. (laughs) (laughs) So you're going to have this for a few years. Keep the books. And then when you hand it over, pick somebody good and... Then do your thing. Okay. Right. One more question. Yeah. Um, sure. So it seemed kind of like the person, the declarement on the congregation was kind of an ambassador for the family. What do you yes. think is better? I guess it's all a matter of perspective, but Baldwin, he has almost a conflict of interest because he's the head of the family and he's the member of the congregation in Matthew's eyes, probably. Do you think right. he should have had a third, yeah. third check and balance being a different person on the congregation? Not that there's a right answer. Ooh. I'm just curious of your take on it. Maybe like an Alon or, or somebody like a squire or somebody as an advisor. Yeah. I don't know. The, con- the, consigli- I would think the so. consigliere of the family. Yeah. Especially if you're going to be a diplomat and you're not good at it. <laughs> 
here's the problem. Mm. That would have been Godfrey and he's dead. Yeah. 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 True. <laughs> so, mm. and of the women, I don't, of the women we've met, I don't see Freya or Varen being that type of thinker. Yeah. And forget him and Isabel working together because they ain't going to yeah, happen. Yeah, it's not going to happen. There's, yeah. there's too many centuries of jealousy under the bridge. True. All right. So Phoebe says, naively, I might add. <laughs> what? Very naively, all caps. <laughs> Why can't the two of you sit down and talk about this reasonably? Making a rather courageous effort to separate the two vampires. Oh, dear. Uh, Baldwin snarled at her in warning, and Marcus lunged for his uncle's throat. So, oh, shit. that went Hasht- badly. Hashtag owner Saint Leger. Yeah. <laughs> Matthew grabbed Phoebe and pulled her out of the way. She was shaking, though more from anger than fear. Fernando spun Marcus around and pinned his arms to his side. Galglass clamped his hand on Baldwin's shoulder. Do not challenge him, Fernando said sharply, when Marcus was trying to worm his way free. Not unless you're prepared to walk out of this house and never return. So, after they all calm down, here we go. Speaking of hashtag naive, here we go. (laughs) (laughs) Marcus nodded. Fernando released him, but remained close, because you never know. And Marcus said, these threats are absurd. The Knights of Lazarus and the congregation have been in bed with each other for years. Thank you, Philippe. (laughs) (laughs) We oversee their financial affairs, not to mention help them enforce order among the vampires. Surely, surely the congregation wouldn't risk the de Clermont family retaliation, wouldn't violate the sanctuary that's always been afforded to Septours. Oh, jeez. Baldwin shook his head. They already have Marcus. The congregation is not playing games this time. They've been looking for a reason to disband the Knights of Lazarus for years. For years. Okay? <laughs> Letting you know. But nobody bothered to talk to me about any of this before you set the things in motion. So now here we are. Here we are. Here we are. <laughs> Poor Baldwin. Jesus, Jesus Christ. Christ. I would not want to be in that position. No. <laughs> People wonder why he's pissed all the time. He's pissed. He's grouchy. He just wants to make his cash, man. (laughs) It's like, I think he just wants to spend one day without a headache at Uh, this point. So Marcus wants to know, so they're doing this now because I brought official charges against Knox for Emily's death. Only in part, it was your insistence on having the covenant set aside that the congregation couldn't stomach. Baldwin thrust a roll of parchment at Marcus. Uh, Three wax seals hung from the bottom, swaying slightly due to the rough treatment. We considered your request again. It's been denied again. (laughs) That word we... <laughs> solved we. we solved a long-standing mystery. I remember this revelation. You're like, oh my god! After all years of trying to figure it out, in a change in rules on top of yeah. it, yeah, I see the process of elimination by the rules we had presented to us at the time, only to find out there was a change. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh. God, we were so frustrated by that. I know. Okay. And as a note to the audience, we did guess it was Baldwin. However, we figured out that that couldn't be so because there was a rule in there and we can probably explore it at a different time, a different place. But now's mm-hmm. not the time. And then we had to change our minds. And then when it came out, Baldwin, we were like, whoa, what? <laughs> but during the writing process, remember, Gene Deb tweeted something like that's a game changer. And right there, we knew that Baldwin was the member of yeah. the congregation. Yeah. 
Yep. And although we did remind her of her old rule that made that not the answer. Yeah. <laughs> right. Like, and then she said what her answer was rules change. Yeah. Like, that women were ah! women didn't get to be knights either. Way yeah. back when. Yeah. Yeah. She cited suffragettes or something. Mm. Women didn't always get to vote is what yes. she said. Since the covenant had been signed and the congregation had been formed in the 12th century, there's always been a declarement among the three vampires at the meeting table. Until now, I had not known that creature's present identity. And it was Baldwin. Hmm. hmm. And he's doing a good job. Yes. yes. <laughs> Excellent job. He's Very keeping good. his head. Very literally. Good. He hasn't ripped anybody apart because I would have by yeah. now. <laughs> and oh, lost man. our heads. Rule <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> change. Oh, God. It was bad enough that a vampire interfered in a dispute between two witches, he continued. Demanding reparations for Emily Mather's death was foolish, Marcus. But continuing to challenge the covenant was unforgivably naive. Mm, yeah, it was a little. <laughs> and Matthew's like, what happened? <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> oh. So finally, we're going to get the story, the yes. true story. And, yes. and it's going to have to be from Baldwin because nobody else ever bothers to explain this to him. Right. Than, oh, Em's dead. And it's terrible. Yeah. So, Matthew, sit down. Have a seat. Baldwin's about to tell you. Pass the, pass the sofa next to him. Like, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to lay some truth on you now. <laughs> Marcus and the other participants in his little rebellion called for the end of the covenant in April. Marcus declared that the Bishop family was under the direct protection of the Knights of Lazarus. What took him so long, though? If he's going to do that, a bright idea in the middle of the night or? Yeah, it's like, why show your cards? Now? I mean, maybe because of uh, Margaret's impending birth. Yeah, maybe him and Nathaniel had a seat and said, hey, let's come up with some really bad ideas. <laughs> yeah, but, they said, but he only declared the Bishop family under their protection, not, right. yeah. not the Normans. Mm. So it's like maybe it was a lead up. Maybe to keep the Normans or uh, Margaret, you know, aside. They hey, now, know. Here's, a, here's the thing that, that occurs to me, too, which makes what Marcus did even stupider, is that, okay, Matthew and Diana disappear right. in the books. You mm-hmm. know, nobody knows what's going on. Mm-hmm. They could be together. Maybe they're not. Nobody knows what's going on. Marcus just comes right out and basically tells everybody, yeah, they're they're gone and they're together and I've, I'm taking care of the rest of my in-laws right here. That was not smart. Nope. So maybe it was Marcus who brought the Knights of Lazarus to light in full-blown open theater since it was a whispered thing before. Right. Yeah. Now he's just exposed the whole thing and we're going to do this. Oh. Yeah. And oh, <laughs> look, we're using we're using it for our own family's benefit. Right. Not smart either. Right. I he didn't think this through. He's young. He's, well, even even Matthew is like, what did you do that for, dumbass? Yeah. <laughs> um. I mean, in the end, it worked out, but a lot of things had to happen in between. So here we go. Yeah. Baldwin's point was the fact that he declared the Bishop family under the direct protection of the Knights of Lazarus, therefore involving the Brotherhood. So that's a problem, Marcus. Hello. Yeah. This is Diana. I didn't know whether to kiss Matthew's son for his efforts to protect my family or chide him for his optimism. And oh, it, Matthew wanted to do more than chide him. <laughs> right. Knowing what right. you know now, though, from Times Convert, do you, I kind of see this like as a logical step for Marcus, revolutionary Marcus. Yeah, fuck it. We're just going to burn it all down. <laughs> Right. Do this. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it, you know what? And you look at it from Times Convert standpoint, he's doing what he wished he would have done when Matthew and Juliet showed up in New Orleans. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
He's just saying, like you said, fuck it. Baldwin goes on in May. Well, you know what happened in May. Marcus characterized Emily's death as a hostile act undertaken by the members of the congregation, intent on provoking open conflict between creatures. He thought that the congregation might want to reconsider his earlier request to abandon the covenant in exchange for a truce, the Knights of Lazarus. And Marcus is like, well, it was a reasonable request, dude. So what's the problem? (laughs) And Baldwin's like, reasonable or not, the measure went down two in favor and seven opposed. Never allow a vote whose outcome you can't predict in advance, Marcus. You should have discovered that unpleasant truth about democracy by now. And he's not wrong. (laughs) He's totally not wrong. No. Don't ask the question unless you know the answer. Yeah. Especially in this case. Oh, yeah. And then Marcus starts doing math. (laughs) Right. It's not possible. That means only you and Nathaniel's mother voted in favor of my proposal. (laughs) Marcus said, bewildered. Agatha Wilson, mother of Marcus's friend Nathaniel, was one of the three demons who were in the member of the congregation. Another demon sided with Agatha. So basically, I didn't vote for this shit. (laughs) And Marcus is like, oh, clutching his pearls. You voted against it? What? I wonder how this will translate for the TV show. Yes. So Diana's thinking to herself, given my few dealings with Baldwin, I could have told him this was unduly hopeful. Yeah. Come (laughs) on now. And um, Matthew says, let me see that. And he grabbed the parchment. His look demanded that Baldwin explain his actions. And Baldwin's like, I had no choice. And this is me putting it aside. They were about to take my head, dude. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Do you know how much damage your son has done? From now on, there will be whispers about how a young upstart from the inferior branch of the de Claremont family tree tried to mount an insurrection against a thousand years of tradition. Ooh, that hurts. Inferior. Now, he's speaking in the language of a thousand years of feudal society and nobility, because as far as kingmaking goes, Matthew is an inferior branch of the mm-hmm. tree because it's a, unless it was a matriarchal society, he, that side of the family would not take the uh, throne unless the father's side of the family totally died out. <laughs> right. Henry Tudor. So, <laughs> yeah. Diana's a little bit upset here. She's like inferior. And then she was aghast at the insult to Isabeau. She says, my mother-in-law did not look at all surprised. However, if anything, she looked more bored. Studying her perfectly manicured long nails. She's used to this shit. Like, well, she also knows this is just a warm up. Right. Yeah. <laughs> like, there's more shit coming down the pike. <laughs> and Galaglass acts as, you know, expected. Galaglass yeah. growled, you go too far, Baldwin. You weren't here. The rogue members of the congregation who came here in May and killed Emily, dot, dot, dot. Gerbert and Knox aren't rogue members, Baldwin said, his voice rising again. They belong to two thirds of the majority. Hello. Yeah. Pay attention. No, it's Baldwin's fault for not being there, despite the fact that you weren't telling him a goddamn thing that was going on. Mm -hmm. No. But now it's his fault that he wasn't around. Really? You can't have it both ways. Right. Right. And he's got to keep face for this congregation. He really does. It's eggshells, really. And I think the long range planning of Philippe to set up the plausible deniability because the very public antipathy with him and uh, Matthew, for one thing, and Philippe's intentionally keeping him in the dark. And I see this as kind of a clash of generations Mm -hmm. because Marcus is like, look, we got to move forward. We can't live under these rules anymore. And Baldwin's like, "Okay, but these rules have worked for us so far. And it's in the same vein of it's a clash of generations. It's Marcus is kind of impatient and he wants to do it his way. And now 
which is creating problems. And Baldwin's got a more of a long range plan to accomplish it, but I don't think anybody has bothered to ask him what that is. Mm-hmm. So now right. they just think he's an obstacle. It's also, you see this in today's politics too. You have like one side wanting to push it all the way far this yeah, way. Yeah, yeah. And, and then you have the other ones like, this is not how this works. You have you need, to use yeah. the system and use the steps and we will progress this way. And it's not yeah. fast enough for a lot of people. Right. So, mm-hmm. so you could see that too. Use the machinery to your advantage versus burning it all down. Yes, right. exactly. You can see kind of the thought process of both sides and you can kind of align yourself and put yourselves in their shoes, but there's got to be something in between. So we're kind of working in between here. Yeah. <laughs> What's funny here is I think in the whole way that Deb's kind of set up Baldwin as a character and the way that so much of the fandom perceives him, so it's like no one's listen- no one's actually listening to what he's saying. Marcus is doing that as well. They're not listening to what he's saying and they're just assuming that he's disagreeing with right. with them. And he's not. He's just telling you, you keep doing this, it ain't going to work. Not that I don't want it to work. It's just not going to work. Baldwin, if you're going to be reasonable, Baldwin should sit these people down. It's like, look, I am on your side. Right. But this is how we have to get this done. And that's Baldwin's fault because he's not very good at communication. No, <laughs> no, he's not. Well, he's the one to say. He's, he's the first one to say he's not a diplomat. Yeah, exactly. And, and he's such a strategist that... He sees all this in his head and he knows how it's all going to play out and he knows what the chessboard looks like. And he's just assuming everyone sees the chessboard the way he does. And like you said, not communicating. it. Yeah. And you have all these yeah. non-decision makers in the meeting. A Phoebe, yeah. A, yeah. you know, an Ernst, a Varen. You know, it, I don't, it should just be more of a the, the core group first and then spread it out to a bigger meeting. Yes. See, we've all taken leadership courses. We can tell. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. A lot of extraneous input here at this point. Exactly. So Marcus is saying, I don't care. Telling witches, vampires, and demons to keep to themselves no longer makes sense. If it ever did, abandoning the covenant is the right thing to do. And Baldwin's like, since when has that mattered? And he's tired. He's like, come on. Um, Work with me here, people. Right. And Matthew says, it says here that Peter Knox has been censured. And he looked up and down the document. More than that, Knox was forced to resign. Gerber and Satu argue that he was provoked to take action against Emily, but the congregation couldn't deny that he played some role in the witch's death. So, hey, you know, he he did kind of uh, force his Mm -hmm. hand there. So Baldwin reclaimed his seat behind his father's desk. Though a large man, he did not seem of sufficient stature to occupy Philippe's space. And um, I don't think anybody would be. Sorry. Mm -hmm. In this juncture, it kind of is almost petty. It is. And anyone sitting there would not have the stature to sit in Philippe's place. Those are big shoes to fill. But here's the funny thing. Mm-hmm. You know, Diana says that he's, you know, he doesn't have the stature, da 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 da. Mm-hmm. Philippe couldn't have fixed this mess either. No. No. Philippe never would have let this get to this point as a mess. But point being is this is turning into another mess like Q. If I were Baldwin, I'd be like, okay, this is too far. We got to something. Yeah. yeah. Let's rein it in here. Diana's realizing that Knox did kill Emily. So Knox did kill my aunt. Her anger and her power was rising. 
Uh, he claims all he was doing was questioning her about Matthew's whereabouts and the location of the Bodleian Library manuscript, which sounded very much like the sacred text we vampires call the Book of Life. And this is Baldwin. Knox said Emily became agitated when he discovered that the Wilson's daughter was a witch, but had two demon parents. He blames her heart attack on stress. Oops. <laughs> and then <laughs> Diana's like, Emily was healthy as a horse. And what price will Knox pay for killing a member of my mate's family? And this is Matthew. He's like thinking this out, which mm-hmm. I feel like for Matthew, this is good. He's <laughs> he's progressed. <laughs> <laughs> well, do you know what's so funny about this? It makes me the first time I, I, I noticed this a lot more in Times Conver, but this part right here is like it almost feels like Diana hates Baldwin more than Matthew does. I, I see it differently. I see that Matthew maybe doesn't like Baldwin and hates him, but he's used to him mm-hmm. by now. What I'm saying is, is that she sees the breach between them as more irreparable than Matthew does because Matthews can still work with him. She doesn't view it that way, though. She's more on the black and white. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. She, she, they're too much alike and they're both stubborn and, and she right. can't even see that. So. Right. There's a lot of shades of gray. You can't view things black and white. The whole Matthew hates Baldwin and Baldwin hates Matthew. It's way more complicated than that. And I think this is it. This is just an early hint that I missed right. before when I read this is all I'm getting at. I just think Diana doesn't know the family dynamic, no matter how much she mm-hmm. thinks she knows. No, but she but she thinks she does. Yeah, exactly. But she has assessed and based on her, what she's seen in her short encounters with the family, she has already assessed. Meanwhile, Matthew knows how this runs. Yeah, which is so funny considering she's the only child <laughs> who was raised by an aunt and no extended family to speak of. Right. She's, she's very true to her character, though. I mean, before she met Matthew, she was an ostrich wanting to stick her head in the sand. And now she's met Matthew and she wants to take him to put his head in the sand and they can all live happily ever after. Yeah. yeah doesn't work that way. It's too complicated. (laughs) Knox has been stripped of his seat and banned from ever serving the congregation again, Baldwin said. Marcus got his way on that at least, but I'm not sure we won't regret it in the end. And then him and Matthew exchanged another long look. I was missing something vital. And yes, you were. (laughs) Probably a couple of things. We're just coming up with the first one. So Matthew wants to know who will take his place. It's too soon to say the witches insist on a Scottish replacement on the grounds that Knox hadn't finished out his term. Janet Gowdy is obviously too old to serve again. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so my money would be on one of the McNivens, Kate, perhaps, or possibly Jenny Horn, Baldwin replied. And hashtag aside to Easter eggs. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, Janet Horn and Janet McNiven were two of the last witches burnt at the stake in Scotland in the 17th century. So these are descendants of real witches in the in the historical record. And so is Janet Gowdy. Yeah, Janet too. <laughs> exactly. Which we'll find out more about later. Okay, so Gowglass says somberly, the Scots produce powerful witches and the Gowdies and the Horns and the McNivens are the most respected families in the North. They may not be as easy to handle as Knox. And one thing is clear, the witches are determined to have the Book of Life. And that was Baldwin. Matthew's like, well, they always wanted it. Ugh. Not like this. 
Knox found a letter in Prague. He says it provides proof that you either have or once had the Book of Origins or the witch's original book of spells, if you prefer his version of the tale. I told the congregation this was nothing more than a power-hungry wizard fantasy, but they didn't believe me. They ordered a full inquiry. Which, by the way, he should too. Baldwin should. <laughs> yeah, hello. <laughs> what the hell happened back in 1590, yeah. 1591? Yeah, what yeah, what's going on here? That just tells you. He's like, look, and that's another way of him saying, look, I am on your side, but this is the the shit I'm dealing with here. And Diana goes on to explain in her brain that there were many legends about the contents of the ancient book now hidden in Oxford's Bodleian Library under the call number Ashmole Manuscript 782. The witches believed that it contained the first spells ever cast, the vampires, that it told the story of how they were first made. Demons thought the book held secrets about their kind, too. I had possessed the book too briefly to know which, if any, of these stories were true. But Matthew Galglass and I knew whatever else the Book of Life contained paled in comparison to the genetic information bound within its covers. For the Book of Life had been fashioned from the remains of once living creatures. The parchment was made from their skin. The inks contained their blood. The pages were held together with creature hair and binding glue extracted from their bones. And that was just a recap for all of you who didn't mm-hmm. remember what we and went through. And if you weren't grossed out the first time. Right. You know, now you can be grossed out a little more. <laughs> now it's go. really, exp- it's been explicitly explained why we should be grossed out by it. Yes. Knox said the Book of Life was damaged by a demon named Edward Kelly, who removed three of its pages in the 16th century Prague. He claims that you know where those pages are, Matthew. Baldwin looked at him with open curiosity. Is that true? No, Matthew said honestly. <laughs> and he was being honest. No. It was accurate. It was an accurate answer. It wasn't a full answer, but well, it was accurate. Right. Well, well. <laughs> Like many of Matthew's answers, this was only a partial truth. He did not know the location of the two missing pages from the Book of Life, but one of them was safely tucked into a locked drawer (laughs) in his desk. Do you know where one is? Do you know where two is? Do you know where three is? (laughs) You gotta ask the right questions, Baldwin. Baldwin purposefully asked the wrong question again. Yeah. Plausible deniability. Did you ask Matthew about them? Why, yes, I did. Yes, I did. Absolutely. So Baldwin says, thank God for that. I swore on Philippe's soul that such a charge could not be true. Uh, so, yeah, thank God you didn't Gallo give me Glass. the right answer. Yeah. I kind of love Gallo Glass in this early part of Book of Life because he's kind of like, yeah, whatever. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So Gallo Glass eyed Fernando blandly. Matthew gazed out the window. Isabel, who could smell a lie as easily as any witch, <laughs> narrowed her eyes at me. <laughs> <laughs> and the congregation took you at your word. And this is Matthew. And Baldwin's like, not entirely. (laughs) Yeah, no. (laughs) And see, Baldwin and Matthew are getting along here. They're having a conversation. Give them that, okay? Yeah, and I think there's a lot of unspoken communication going on in between between the two of them as well. Yes. It's like, okay, don't tell me what I don't want to hear. So Isabeau knows there's something else going on here. Okay. Uh, What other assurances did you make, little viper? You hiss so prettily, Baldwin, but there's a sting somewhere. Baldwin's like, all right, you got me. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> I promised the congregation that Marcus and the Knights of Lazarus would continue to uphold the covenant. That's number one. Then the congregation selected an impartial delegation, one witch and one vampire, and charged them with inspecting Septur from top to bottom. They'll no, make sh- no, again, no demon included. No. See? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> They will make sure there are no witches or demons or even a scrap of paper from the Book of Life within its walls. Gerber and Satu Yarvanen will be here in one week's time. The silence was deafening. Ugh. So those were the two that were involved in abducting Diana. So, you know, we don't feel really good yeah. about this right now. And, and again, everybody's like looking at Baldwin like he fucked up. It's like, nobody told me Matthew and Diana were here. Right. Exactly what he says. How was I to know that Matthew and Diana were here? Jesus. But... It's no matter. The congregation's delegation will not find a single irregularity during their visit. That means Diana must go too. And then Matthew's like, what else? Is abandoning our friends and family not enough? And this is Marcus. Like, whoa. Hashtag naive. <laughs> <laughs> and then Phoebe slid her arm around his waist in a gesture of, com- I got you, babe. You know, I'm, I'm comforting you. And then That's Fernando cute. out of nowhere. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then Fernando, yes. Your uncle always delivers the good news first, Marcus. And if the prospect of a visit with Gerber is the good news, the bad news must be very bad. The congregation wants insurance, Matthew swore. Something that will keep the Declaremonts and the Knights of Lazarus on their best behavior. And then Baldwin's like, mm, not something, someone. <laughs> Sorry, guys. And Diana wants to know who. And Isabel's like, me, of course. And she's not concerned. She's like, all right. (laughs) I've been in this house for years, guys. I know how this works. And Matthew's like, absolutely not. And he looked at Baldwin in horror. Baldwin's like, yeah, I'm afraid so. Therein appeared mildly affronted. The congregation may be small-minded, but they're not complete fools, Isabel murmured. No one can hold Varen hostage for more than 24 hours. The witches said it had to be someone that could force Matthew out of hiding. Varen wasn't considered sufficient inducement. And Baldwin, this is what Baldwin explained. They're going to need something better, something to, you know, make Matthew really. Isabel would be it. So there you go. The last time I was held against my will, you were my jailer, Baldwin, Isabel said in a syrupy voice. Will you do the honors again? And Baldwin's like, not this time. Knox and Yarvinen wanted you held in Venice where the congregation could keep an eye on you. But I refuse. Diana's like, why Venice? And she knew that Baldwin had come from there, but couldn't imagine why the congregation would prefer it to any location. And this is where we find out Venice is the congregation's headquarters. So we didn't know that before. Okay. So Venice had been the congregation's headquarters since the 15th century when we were forced out of Constantinople. Matthew explained quickly. Nothing happens in the city without the congregation knowing of it. And Venice is home to scores of creatures who have long-standing relationships with the consul, including Domenico's brood. Isabeau says, in a, a repulsive gathering of ingrates and sycophants, I'm very glad to not be going there. Even without Domenico's clan, Venice is unbearable this time of year. So many tourists. <laughs> the mosquitoes are impossible. <laughs> the thought of what my vampire blood might do to the mosquito population was deeply disturbing. <laughs> That's hilarious. Comfort was not the congregation's chief concern, Isabeau. And this is Baldwin. And this is Isabeau. Where am I to go then? 
After expressing appropriate initial reluctance, giving his longstanding friendship with the family, Gerbert has generously agreed to keep you at his home. The congregation could hardly refuse him, Baldwin replied. That won't pose a problem, will it, Isabeau? <laughs> and Isabeau's like lifted her shoulders in expressive Gaelic stroke. Not for me. Hmm, I don't care. Sounds great. <laughs> and Matthew seems more upset than those other two. Gerbert can't be trusted. Christ, Baldwin. He stood by and watched while Knox worked his magic on Emily. And then Isabel's like, I do hope Gervais has managed to retain his butcher. What? <laughs> <laughs> like, she's like, huh, like she's it's going like, on vacation or something. <laughs> it's like, I don't like how Matthew's underestimating his mother in this particular yeah. instance. Yeah, exactly. Mart will have to come with me, of course. You'll see to it, Baldwin. You're not going, Matthew said. I'll give myself up first. Isabeau spoke. No, my son, Gerber and I have done this before. As you know, I'll be back in no time, a few months at most. And Marcus wants to know, why is this necessary at all? Once the congregation inspects Septor and finds nothing objectionable, they should leave us alone. The congregation must have a hostage to demonstrate that they are greater than the Declaremonts, Phoebe explained, showing a remarkable grasp of the situation. Yeah, that's true. This is all for show. This is just, mm -hmm. this it's, is. Yeah, it's theater. Yes. It's political theater. And Marcus, you know, his revolutionary self, he's like, mm -hmm. ah, no, we must fight. Right. <laughs> yeah. So th these are the two sides of that coin we were talking about. You have the revolutionary spirit, like we got to fight to the end. Yeah. And Baldwin and company saying, no, let's do this this way. It'll work. Trust me. Just relax. Calm down. We'll get there. <laughs> mm -hmm. It's just two roads to the same objective. And Marcus feels like we, if we follow the process, that should take care of itself. Like very optimistic democracy, but that's not how yeah. it is. It's not. Yeah, there's a difference between following the process and working the process. <laughs> Isabel and Baldwin know how to work the process. Right, exactly. And I, I find that true in our human lives, too, where as you grow older, you know, the younger people are just fighting and they've always been told when you're taught in the history books, hey, they fought and they won. And this is it's not that simplistic. There's yeah. a whole road to get there. And yeah, what just looks like rebel, rebel, fight, fight is there's a lot more sophisticated, devious back channeling going on. Right. You're just looking at the tip of the iceberg. Yeah. Look underneath. And there's mm -hmm. a whole lot going on there. So Marcus still wants to complain, but he's like, but Grand Mirror, it should be me, not you. This is my fault. Isabel's like, I may be your grandmother, but I'm not so old and fragile as you think. Mm -hmm. And Isabel said with a touch of frostiness, my blood, inferior though it might be, well, does not shrink from its duty. Diana wants to know, surely there's another way. No, Diana. And this is Isabel. We all have our roles in this family. Baldwin will bully us. Marcus will look after the brotherhood. Matthew will look after you. And you will look after my grandchildren. As for me, I find that I'm invigorated at the prospect of being held for ransom once more. This is exciting. <laughs> I'm getting out of the house. <laughs> <laughs> and speaking of which, that's an, there's an Easter egg right there. The time she was held for ransom by Baldwin. Mm -hmm. Yeah. When Baldwin was her jailer was when she was Melisande during the uh, Crusades. And Baldwin was playing her son Baldwin at the time. And they got into a fight over Odessa. <laughs> and who Whoops. is going to be in charge? <laughs> <laughs> and 
Baldwin ended up locking her in a tower for a time. <laughs> I don't know, but they have a good butcher, though. Yeah. <laughs> Apparently, Enzo is better than who, who, whomever they had at the time. Exactly. <laughs> so we end this uh, scene with my mother-in-law's feral smile made me believe her. So there you go. So here we go. It's a new scene. I'll play some music so you guys know it's a new scene. Having helped Baldwin and Marcus reach a fragile state of detente, Matthew and I returned to our rooms on the other side of the chateau. Matthew switched on the sound system as soon as we'd passed through the doorway, flooding the room with intricate strains of Bach. The music made it more difficult for the other vampires in the house to overhear our conversations. So Matthew invariably had something playing in the background. God, what did they do before, like stereos were right. invented. I don't know. See, and that's why texting is good. You, know? yeah. <laughs> you have a nice little private conversation. Um, it's a good thing we know more about Ashmole 782 than Knox does, and this is Diana. Once I retrieve the book from Bodleian Library, the congregation will have to stop handing out ultimatums from Venice and start dealing with us directly. Then we can hold Knox accountable for Emily's death. Matthew studied her silently for a moment. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, yeah, no. He poured himself some wine and drank it down, and uh, he offered her water. Oh, I have to, you know, put this point. He drank it down in one gulp. <laughs> so that tells you he's about to say some shit. Right. Okay. Yeah. He offered her water, and uh, Diana's like, no. Then Diana asks, what do you know about the congregation vampire pedigrees? Matthew says, not much. And then he poured another glass of wine. Yeah. <laughs> Does the congregation keep witch and demon genealogies too? And this is Diana asking. Well, I love Diana saying, yeah, he won't get drunk, but he still doesn't drink like this. No. <laughs> I don't know. This is Matthew. The affairs of witches and demons never concern me. Well, okay. <laughs> and then Diana says, well, it doesn't matter. Our top priority has to be Ashmole 782. I'll need to go to Oxford as quickly as possible. And then Matthew's like, and what will you do then, Malion? And Diana's like, eh, I'll figure out a way to recall it. My father made sure the book of life would come to me if I need it. Our present circumstances certainly qualify. So she thinks, right? So the safety of Ashmole 782 is your chief concern. And this is Matthew. Of course. all That and finding its missing pages. After I recover it, you might want to figure out which creatures are bound to it. Perhaps even date it by analyzing its genetic information on your lab. And Matthew's scientific work focused on issues of species origins and extinction. When I locate the two missing, she's just going on. When I locate the two <laughs> missing pages, I don't have to think things out. Yeah. I just, I'll tell you as I, as I go. Yeah. And then Matthew turned and his face was calm. You mean when we recover Ashmole 782 and when we locate the other pages? And Diana's like, Matthew, be reasonable. Nothing would anger the congregation more than the news that we were seen together at the Bodleian. His voice got even softer. His uh -oh. face calmer. Uh -oh. That's bad. Uh -oh. <laughs> <laughs> you are more than three months pregnant, Diana. Members of the congregation have already invaded my home and killed your aunt. Peter Knox is desperate to get his hands on Ashmole 782 and knows that you have the power to do it. Somehow he knows about the Book of Life's missing pages, too. You will not be going to the Bodleian Library or anywhere else without me. Uh-oh. Mm -hmm. 
and Diana's a little pissed. <laughs> yes. I have to put the Book of Life together again. And her voice is rising. Then we will, Diana. Right now, Ashmole 782 is safely in the library. Leave it there and let this business with the congregation settle down. And as she's thinking, Matthew was relying perhaps too much on the idea that I was the only witch who could release the spell my father had placed in the book. How long will that take? Perhaps until after the babies are born, Matthew said. Conveniently, right? <laughs> yeah. It'll be after the babies he's not, he's were not born. Wrong. No. <laughs> and Diana wants to know, she's like, that may be six months. So I'm supposed to wait and gestate? And your plans is to twiddle your thumbs and watch the calendar with me? I will do whatever Baldwin commands, Matthew said, drinking the last of his wine. <laughs> it's like, I need another bottle here. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Diana's really pissed. She's like, you cannot be serious. Why do you put up with this autocratic nonsense? Because a strong head of the family prevents chaos, unnecessary bloodshed, and worse. You forgot that I was reborn in a very different time, Diana, when most creatures were expected to obey someone else without a question. Your lord, your priest, your father, your husband... Emphasis on your husband. Hello. Yes. I was going to say, <laughs> FYI, asterisk, not good came of that either. <laughs> your yeah. Lord, your priest, your father, your husband. Yes. Yes. Carrying out Baldwin's orders is not as difficult for me than it will be for you. For me, I'm not a vampire. I don't have to listen to him. Yeah, yeah. right. <laughs> he's not the boss of me. There's like so much. He's not the boss of me going on. <laughs> Did no one get that memo? No, he is. Yeah. <laughs> you do if you're de Claremont. And did you forget that part, Diana? Because, yeah. yeah. The congregation and vampire tradition have left us with precious few options. By the middle of December, you will be a fully-fledged member of Baldwin's family. I know Varen, and she would never renege on a promise made to Philippe. Diana's like, I don't need Baldwin's help. I'm a weaver, and I have power of my own. <laughs> God. Matthew's like, a Baldwin mustn't know about that. Not yet. And no one can offer you or our children the security that Baldwin and the rest of the Claremonts can. Think about this, Diana. Come on. Come on. So she says, you are a Claremont. Philippe made that perfectly clear. And Matthew's like, not in the eyes of other vampires. I may be Philippe de Claremont's kin, but I'm not his blood. You are. For that reason alone, I will do whatever Baldwin asks me to do. So, here we go. Matthew's reasonable. Diana is... On. Not. Yes. So, it's interesting to watch this dynamic, to mm -hmm. say the least. I will do whatever Baldwin asks me to do. And then Diana says, even kill Knox. And Matthew's like... Ugh clutch my pearls really <laughs> well I, I don't even think it was clutch my pearls but it was more like huh where is yeah. this coming from why do you think that that's going to be his play and she explains you're baldwin's assassin knox trespassed on the claremont land which is a direct challenge to the family's honor i assume that makes knox your problem and she kept her tone matter of fact <laughs> but it took effort she says <laughs> i knew that matthew had killed men before but somehow the word assassin made those deaths more disturbing as i said i'll follow baldwin's orders that's it lady that's what's going on i don't care what baldwin commands you can't go after a witch matthew certainly not one who is once a member of the congregation it will only make matters worse after what he did to emily knox is already a dead man this is matthew saying that 
The threads around him flashed red and black. The fabric of the world was invisible to every witch. But as a weaver, a maker of spells like my father, I could see it plainly. So she joined Matthew at the window. The sun was up. Okay. She slid her arms around the man she loved. And you don't have to go after Knox for me or for Baldwin. Matthew says, no, but I have to do it for Emily. So that's happening. All right. <laughs> All right. So change of scene here. They've laid Em's rest within the ruins of, of the ancient nearby temple consecrated to the goddess. I had been there before with Philippe and Matthew had insisted I see the grave shortly after we return so that I would have to face the fact that my aunt was gone forever. Since then, I visited a few times when I needed some quiet time to think. Matthew had asked me not to go alone. Today, Isabel was my escort and I needed time away from my husband as well as from Baldwin and the troubles that had soured the air in Septour. The place was as beautiful as I remembered with the cypress trees standing like sentinels around broken columns that were barely visible now. Today, the ground was not snow covered as it had been in December of 1590, but lush and green except for the rectangular brown slash that marked M's final resting place. They were hoof prints on the soft earth with a faint depression on the top. Isabeau says, a white heart has taken to sleeping on the grave, Isabeau explained, following my glance. They are very rare. A white buck appeared when Philippe and I had came here before my wedding to make offerings to the goddess. I felt power then, ebbing and flowing under my feet. I felt it now, but said nothing. Matthew had been adamant that no one must know about my magic. Philippe told me he met you. Really? Isabeau, really? You're just yeah. dropping <laughs> Truth bomb. <laughs> Whoa. Oh, and then I'm like, oh, he left the note. That's right. That's right. Okay. Yeah. He, he left a note for me in the binding of one of Godfrey's alchemical books. Though the notes Philippe and Isabeau had shared the tiny details of everyday life that would otherwise be easily forgotten. How you must miss him. I swallowed down the lump that threatened to choke me. He was extraordinary, Isabeau. Yes, we shall never see another one such as him. Which echoes the line about the harsh light of day and mm-hmm. not, not seeing heroes such as these. Yes. From Shadow of Night. The two of us stood near the grave, silent and reflective. What happened this morning will change everything, Isabel said. The congregation's inquiry will make it more difficult to keep our secrets. And Matthew has more to hide than most of us. And Diana's like, like the fact that he's the family assassin, right? Isabel said, yes, many vampire families would dearly like to know which member of the de Claremont clan is responsible for the deaths of their loved ones. And Diana says, when we were here with Philippe, I thought I'd uncovered most of Matthew's secrets. I know about his attempted suicide and what he did for his father. It had been the hardest secret for my husband to reveal that he helped Philippe to his death. With vampires, there's no end to them, Isabeau said, but secrets are unreliable allies. They allow us to believe we are safe, yet all the while they are destroying us. And Diana's wondering... I wondered if I was one of the destructive secrets lying at the heart of the de Claremont family. I drew an envelope from my pocket and handed it to Isabel. She saw the crabbed handwriting and her face froze. Alain, give me this note. Philippe wrote it on the day he died. I'd like you to read it. I think the message was meant for all of us. Isabel's hand trembled and she unfolded the single sheet. She opened it carefully and read the few lines aloud. One of the lines struck me with renewed force. Do not let the ghosts of the past rob the future of its joys. Oh, Philippe. Leap, she said sadly. Isabel handed the note back and reached for my forehead. For one unguarded moment, I saw the woman she had once been, formidable but capable of joy. She stopped, her fingers withdrawing. 
I caught her hand. She was colder than her son, even. I gently set her icy fingers on the skin between my eyebrows, giving her silent permission to examine the place where Philippe de Clermont had marked me. The pressure of Isabeau's fingers changed infinitesimally while she explored my forehead. When she stepped away, I could see her throat working. Okay, consent. I like that. I like that. Diana gave consent and then Isabeau was able to do that. It's like my hair. Don't touch my hair. (laughs) (laughs) Unless there's consent. I'm sorry. That was personal. Okay, now we go on. (laughs) I do feel something. A presence, some hint of Philippe. Isabeau's eyes were shining. I wish he were here, I confess. He would know what to do about this mess. Baldwin, the blood valve, congregation, Knox, even Ashmole 782. And Isabeau says, my husband never did anything unless it was absolutely necessary, Isabeau replied. But he was always doing something. I thought of how he orchestrated our trip to Septour in 1590, in spite of the weather and Matthew's reluctance. Not so. He watched. He waited. Philippe let others take the risk while he gathered their secrets and store them up for future use. It's why he survived so long. Isabeau's words reminded me of the job Philippe had given me in 1590 after he had made me his blood sworn daughter. Think and stay alive. Remember that before you rush back to Oxford for your book. Isabeau continued, dropping her voice in a whisper. Remember that in difficult days to come, as the darkest de Claremont family secrets are exposed to the light, remember that and you will show them all that you are Philippe de Claremont's daughter in more than name. And that's the end. Anything to add on to that? Mm-hmm. That last bit that she said about Philippe. Okay. He doesn't sound so amiable. <laughs> No, Mm-mm. no, and I, I did think when she said he always knew what to do. That's true, but I don't think he was always right. Mm-hmm. But true. you know, it's he like knew- it's like being a parent. You just got to do yeah. the best you can with what you have and what you know. I, yeah. Right. He knew what he was going to do. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, it kind of lends to his air of confidence. And that was Mm -hmm. part of his battle strategy, just sitting and waiting and watching and making sure. And I think that's a strategy you do as a parent. You learn as you go Mm -hmm. and you watch and you wait and you see how you need to deal with things. So by the time this child is pretty much raised and out of your house, you know, finally how to handle this person, you know, but it took you all those years to get there. Yeah. Well, the fact that he let others take the risks while he gathered their secrets and stored them up for future use just sounds ominous. Yeah. Which is at odds with the general consensus in the fandom that Philippe is like all golden and shiny and... Well, at first glance, yeah. But he he's mm-hmm. a deeper person than that, you know? Oh, it's yeah. like we're all... At first glance, it's kind of like you know, your Facebook profile, what you are, mm-hmm. what people perceive of you. Mm-hmm. And you can judge it up to make you look like this great person but there's more to that you know Mm -hmm. i know i have on my facebook thing it's like this is just the crib notes (laughs) to know me you must know me you know Well, what's so funny too is she said diana perceived him as always doing something Mm -hmm. and that like isabel said that's that was so far from the truth yeah maybe her version of something was something different than what isabel was saying here Mm -hmm. well i think i think diana always perceived him kind of perceived him with her brief encounter with him 
him is that he was always meddling and planning yeah. and, and yeah, using she, people, moving people around his chessboard, personal chessboard. And I don't know that that's necessarily. She colors everyone that way. First meeting. I'm like, you have to prove to her <laughs> that, that yeah. you're, mm-hmm. you're worthy. And, you know, perhaps he does. Uh, for that short period of time, he was moving things around because he had to. Yeah. And it was like three weeks. He just yeah. showed up with a witch. He, had he ended to. up marrying. And I know I describe my job as mostly boredom, but 20 minutes of terror. And I yeah. think that three weeks was a 20 minutes his, of terror. That, that was his 20 minutes of terror. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Where you have to just move, 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 move. And then when you're done, okay, all is right with the world again. Now I just got to keep watch and make sure shit doesn't go haywire. And what he was observing was shit going haywire right there. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. Anything else about this chapter before we gavel it? No? Mm-mm. No. Okay. Going once, going twice. So we're done here. Okay. So I guess it's time to go on to housekeeping. Yay. Yay. <laughs> housekeeping. <laughs> Who's got something for housekeeping? I've got a housekeeping from Zoe. It's regarding chapter two. Yay! Chapter two already? Well, we're really powering through. Best way in these torrid times, I guess. In this chapter, I love Yellow Glass singing to Cora and trying to tame her. It was hilarious, and we can only hope it makes it to the show. Zoe goes on to talk about how she sings lullabies to her cat, Rosie. Oh. (laughs) She's not sure that she would be fond of a sea shanty, though. (laughs) It's funny. And let's see, we go down we go down the rabbit hole about Spanish ladies. Okay. Uh, which was actually from Jaws. And Zoe gives us a great little history, which is going to be in the show notes. Let's see. Then she goes on to talk about the other song that Gallo Glass was on about was The Lover. It was by John Dibdin. I can't say that. Okay. Uh, he was an English composer, musician, dramatist, novelist, and actor from around 1745. He wrote the lyrics and music for hundreds of songs, including many sea shanties. I can't say that. Oh, it's a tongue twister. And the most prolific English singer-songwriter of his time. He also worked with David Garrick and Drury Lane. Garrick was even a godfather to his son, also known as Charles. Who knew? Maybe you guys did already, but I really enjoyed this particular rabbit hole, so I thought I'd share what I learned. And we're going to share it with everyone so you can read it in its entirety so I don't kill it. (laughs) (laughs) It'll be in the show notes. I'll add a link in the show notes so you Mm -hmm. can see Zoe's uh, housekeeping letter. Yes. Stay safe, ladies. Your journeyman demon, Zoe XO. Oh, and by the way, what the actual fuck does Baldwin think he's doing barging in on Diana and Matthew? Much as we love him, his sense of being head of the family gives him authority to do what does seem to be unacceptable. Well, let's also blame the fact that Matthew took the doors off the hinge. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) There is that. Yes. (laughs) Nothing to barge in if there's no resistance, you know, just walk in. Though I suppose, where would you put the tie if there's no doorknob to put the tie on? How would you know anyway? Right? (laughs) (laughs) What's poor planning on Matthew's part? Uh, (laughs) That's funny. All right. I have an email from Olivia, and I'm going to read most of it because, you know, I love a good comparison. I do usually do the mafia structure to the Declaremont family. And she's doing a similar comparison with uh, operas and composers. So I'm going to jump in right right in the middle of it and continue to the end. But Olivia says, I've been drowning happily in Handel, Gluck and Purcell operas over the past couple of years while I've been have been writing. They're what I like to call silver tone operas. The music is glittery, open aired, light, undemanding and exquisitely beautiful. And the stories are often about a sorceress, elves, mystical kingdoms, etc. And they are rather chaste. The 19th Mm. century 
mid-century operas. Averdi and Puccini, on the other hand, are complex, dark, and passionate, real hairs on the back of your neck music. Burnished gold is how I describe them. They are often roller coasters of human emotions, stunningly beautiful, cathartic. I can't listen to them when I write as they demand so much more of you. It's impossible to concentrate on anything else. They reduce you to tears a lot of the time, and many are deeply sensual. Many opera lovers who keep going back would not dispute that. So she says, I'm listening to Verdi's Don Carlo at the moment. The story is interesting. Don Carlo is the son of Philip II of Spain. In real life, he was completely bonkers, thanks to years of inbreeding amongst the Habsburgs and the royal families of Portugal. Matthew <laughs> and Miriam would have a field day with this. Of course, Verdi subverts the story, and it turns into a passionate love story with some of the most powerful music ever written. If you're interested, check out EMI recording with Placido Domingo. Anyway, Ooh. back to Adol. Musically, Diana is Handel. Matthew is Verdi. Sarah M., Phoebe, and even Peter Knox are Handel. Philippe Isabeau Gerbert Dom- Domenico, she has Domica, and I couldn't remember the guy's name for a second. <laughs> Baldwin, Marcus, and Juliet are Verdi. Well, maybe not button-down, controlled 21st century Matthew or gentle pre-vampire Matthew, but my God, 16th century Matthew definitely has it in spades. Yes, I know he behaves very badly towards Diana, particularly in light of the 21st century Moors, but dear God, he is hot. Or is that just me? <laughs> Love, Olivia. It's not just you. <laughs> not just you. <laughs> He's just not hot in a hot mess sense. He is hot. <laughs> it took me a while to get there, but yes, yeah, and yes, he did actually get all revved up at that one opera and ended up killing that woman. <laughs> Wasn't it Cecilia? Yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Well, I blame the phantom on that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, or he didn't you, kill Olivia. her, but she killed herself. I loved it. That was all very operatic. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, I'm going to look at it that way. It was. I'm going to have to expand my uh, listening selection and take a listen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and like, like she was comparing the different centuries of opera, the 1800s, the opera she described was very much like their writing, which Marcus would have been a fan of. Right. Mm-hmm. Again, I thank you, Olivia. You've opened yeah. my eyes because that's opera is not something I normally listen to. But hey, you never know. You might have a new opera fan on your hands. I'm willing. Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> I've got something from the Barber Files. The Barber Files. Yay. <laughs> Ah, this is referring to chapter three. Hi, my demon divas. I seriously hope you and your families are well and maintaining some sanity. We're trying anyway. (laughs) The chapter opens with Diana and Matthew in the library after being politely, and she's got a rolly eyes emoji in here, summoned by Baldwin, a gentleman in the truest sense of the word. Rolly eye, rolly eye. (laughs) Note note to Matthew, doors. (laughs) Diana meets two more members of the ever-growing de Clermont clan. Varen, whom, if you will pardon me, reminds me of Kalinda from The Good Wife. Except with knives instead of that baseball bat. (laughs) And Fernando, who informs Baldwin that, as you know, I come when I am needed, not when I am called. Just like Nanny McPhee. All right. We get into a discussion about the blood veil and the spell or magic Diana used to coerce Philippe. Then the twins' fraternity comes into question. Bad move, Baldwin. Now Diana discovers another facet of the diamond that is her beloved. Assassin? I swear that man has more uniforms and personalities than Sybil at a Star Trek convention in the 70s. (laughs) (laughs) 
Moving on to the uh, typical brother-sister shit. Matthew holds a knife to Baldwin's heart and chides Varen about working between soft sheets and a man's thighs. Really, Matthew? Varen charges at him. Her fingers are bent like claws. Diana's witch wind slams her into a wall, which Matthew helps Varen to her feet. Aw. In comes Galglass and tosses Varen right under the bus. Welcome to the 4th of July weekend with the Declaremont family. Come, watch the fireworks. Enter the steadfast and stoic Alan. He has items for Diana that will prove Philippe's intentions. <laughs> and sob at that letter. Jeez, this is getting long. Sorry. One last thing. Diana says the court sh- snaked up my arms and worked their way into my hair as if they were looking for something. Foreshadowing the tree imprinted on her from the Book of Life. Once again, sorry, this is so long. Thanks for indulging me again. And please, 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 please stay safe, healthy, and stay home. Remember, hope cannot be quarantined. That's right. And uh, I'm going to tack on this other one she sent lately because she had just received her Fitzio pin. She goes, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, just picked up the mail and woohoo, my pin, my glorious Fitzio pin has arrived. Thank you, thank you, thank you, wonderful ladies so much for providing all of us fans of this fantastic story with your thoughts and insight and knowledge and also, these perks. I remain eternally grateful that I discovered this site. As always, be safe, stay healthy, and know that you are valued. Peace and love, Barbara. Thank, Thank you. you, Barbara. All right. Now it's time for Save It for the Show. And uh, I don't think I put... Who is our sponsor for housekeeping? Let me make sure I go back to that. Carol Woodward, is it? Yeah. Carol Woodward. Thank you, Carol. Thank you, Carol. Okay. Now on for Save It for the Show. And that is brought to us... Bye, Kimberly Babcock. Thank you, Kimberly. Thank you, Kimberly. Save it for the show. Save it for the show. Guys, save it for the show. This episode, save it for the show. The topic is, in quotes, okay, Karen, go. Let's tackle it. Jean, you want to help me start this off? Oh, I I guess I should since I'm stuck with them. (laughs) (laughs) Here's a disclaimer before we go on. We're talking about the proverbial Karen like, thanks, Karen, or right, Karen. Oh, the sure, Karen. The Karen of meme fame. Yeah, the Karen of meme fame. All you lovely people named Karen, we do not mean you. And we're going to discuss that further. But yes. I'm sorry, Jean, go ahead. Oh, um, yes. They are typically white women of a certain age mm-hmm. with very limited power mm-hmm. and their very limited interactions with society in general, mostly of a transactional consumerist nature. Okay. They all have a haircut, it seems. <laughs> <laughs> or hair color it seems <laughs> yes uh, both usually yes. yes um they have a very unique and definitive way of dealing with the world around them to put it politely I is, K- is karen an american thing yes well i think it's spread worldwide yeah but it, it started culture. out as an american thing yes karen started out i think uh somebody had sent us in messenger a really good example by via cartoon mm. and i'll put that in the in the show notes so the first screen is karen uh, it's a comic. Mm-hmm. And at first, the term Karen was used for this. I demand to speak to a manager. <laughs> yes. Because that was her power, right? The second frame of this is, then it extended to this. I'm calling the cops on you. 
And the picture is a blonde woman pointing her finger at a black guy saying, I'm calling the cops at you. The past few weeks, we can see that could be a dangerous game, right? And then it devolved into this. Calling me Karen is sexist. You should call women, other women slurs. I'm like, whoa, what? Right. <laughs> so uh, there was this big uprising from a lot of women that said calling us Karen is racist and sexist. And it's the equivalent of calling a black person the N-word. And Negative. I don't agree. That's <laughs> ridiculous. <laughs> Yeah. And frankly, if I might say so, saying that is an awfully Karen thing to say. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Who would also, rep- that, that Karen would also reply, go back to your own country. Yes, exactly. Yes. So I'm thinking to myself, but see, now you've become a victim of this meme. You've become a vip- victim of proverbial Karens enjoy their victimhood. This is how they operate. This is how they've been moving. Yes. Through they've, the world. They've weaponized, weaponized their victimhood. And the thing is, I've had moments of being Karen. It's not just, you know, yeah. it's not all of us have had need to speak to a manager. You yeah. can have a Karen moment without being a Karen. When things weren't going my way. Mm-hmm. And that's your power. That's your right. When you're told the customer is always right, you as the customer, when you go into a store, hey, but you said I am always right. right. Yeah. That's the Karen attitude. And I, and I think you're seeing so much more of it now. With the COVID and and just things going on and people needing to assert themselves. It's just to the point where it's, I have power here or I don't have power here, but I need to assert what power I have. Right. Mm-hmm. right. And the difference between Karen or us, anyone having the moment of wanting to speak to a manager, it's to resolve an issue that we're having, not at the expense of someone else. Yeah. When a Karen wants to speak to a manager, she she wants to put her power on display. There may not even be an issue that needs to be resolved. Yeah. It's just a matter of recognize my power and give me what I want. So in this cartoon, it says... White women play a very specific role in white supremacy. And this is the stereotypical Karen, so we say, right? In our society, white women are associated with, and in the picture, there's this princess in her pink gown, and she's like, who will save me? And around her, she is. Uh, they have these words that say, good, beauty, precious, fair, fragile, innocent, delicate, defenseless. And they show a a knight coming in saying, I will save you. And in a way, it is kind of that, except when you're young and you're fair, like we were talking before we were off mic, that tends to work a little better versus when you're middle aged yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and crying because the, you don't get your way. The efficacy just doesn't, it has a limited shelf life, shall we say. Right. So I also said before we had our mics on in the military, we call that the DID card and that is the damsel in distress card. So if you have a young female airman in our, our case, I was part of the Air Force, she could get away with a lot more. She can have the guys carry her rucksack off of the plane and into the bus to get to her tent. Do you know? Because all she had to do is say, oh, it's too heavy. Meanwhile, in basic training, you're taught to haul all that (laughs) shit (laughs) and walk it over. So somebody maybe not as pretty or cute or delicate or white as this person wouldn't have the guys. hauling all their own shit. (laughs) Yeah. Hauling all their own shit or finding a trolley so they can help haul their own shit. And you know, the guys wouldn't do that because that makes them look weak. And (laughs) that's just it. I don't 
don't know. So who do you think who do you think the Karens are in the trilogy? The cheerleaders. The cheerleaders, yeah. yes. What do you think uh, about Sydney? Sydneya? Sidonia? Sidonia? Yeah. Um, was she ever a Karen? I don't know. I could probably see it. Or or the TV Sylvia. She she was Indian, but I mean, yeah, she would call her. She would call Peter. She would call her manager. Yeah, she would want to speak to the manager. I that's think that's more cult like, though. I, I yeah. that was my take yeah. on her. She's like programmed to. Oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah. She's she's very. Mm-hmm. Um, no, Diana didn't come across as a Karen. No, maybe let me speak to the manager sense of it, but not beyond that. Not so much. We don't get real examples of that, I don't think. No, I don't think so either. Yeah, no. no. But in our current society, I think what you said, Jean, about us being consumers Mm -hmm. and getting what we want when we want it. Yeah. And when we don't, we resort to bad behavior. In this particular conversation, it seems to be a subset of white women who may not work outside the home, who may not, aside from PTA maybe or what, but, or has a job where they're very not empowered, not autonomous. Or they're empowered in their own subtle way as far as maybe they work for their husband. Yeah. That being the sphere of their influence they're they're not active in their communities as far as civic projects as far as interacting with the bigger world aside from being a consumer in that bigger world Mm. the soccer moms who shop and don't do much else run their kids around and shop and gossip Mm. and and they may have a job they may not but it's not they don't perceive it to be an important facet of who they are they don't it's not a Mm. source of their power i feel well not to take away from the ladies that stay at home Mm -hmm. and everything like that yeah not all ladies who stay at home are karens but it seems like the ones that are karens seem to be more and i've told you guys this story several times when I, where I used to live, I lived in doctor and lawyer land. And mm-hmm. um, these were very prominent, very well off, upper middle class to wealthy. But you go in the Starbucks and you see all the ladies in there and they're waiting in between dropping their kids off and having to pick them up for soccer or whatever. But what my observation was, it was very much a revert to high school where you're Mm -hmm. looking at the cafeteria and you're looking at this table and I'm like, I'm right back in high school. They're gossiping. They're talking. They're they're living their lives. And I don't take that away from them. That's their social hour. But let one person, one barista get something wrong on one of their drinks. Boy, they're going to let them know. Do you know what I mean? Right. It's yeah. like, oh, yeah, yeah. I have that power. And we were just talking about that one. It's uh, very, do you know who I am? Yes. No, I don't. No, I don't. But yeah, no. And the do you know who I am is actually a reflection of who Do you know who my is. husband is? Yes. yes. He owns this construction company. He's part of a big law firm in that, in that yeah. town and everybody knows him. He's part of city council. He's this. He's that. And that's what you're running with. Yeah. And you use that as your power. And I feel like that's just a result of not having enough power just like you said Jean mm-hmm. it's not not having enough power or not when you get called out on it you cry yeah really because mm-hmm. <laughs> most of us have learned to stop doing that beyond 12 years old <laughs> or they're or they're so mm-hmm. tired of things not happening to them 
<laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like current events. It's taxing on everybody. I get that, but it's not directly happening to them. Right. Yeah. Right. Or being perceived the wrong way. It's like, oh, I'm not racist, but you're, I'm not this, but I'm not that woman you, you're saying I am, but you're acting like it though. Yeah. So I don't know. This is a hard conversation to have because I am looking at my fellow peer women who are in my age group, but I have a whole different view of things, I think. Yeah. Oh, you think you have a hard time. (laughs) (laughs) Thank God I'm a brunette. Because being that age of a sweet spot and a doctor's a doctor's partner and pale as a ghost, yeah. still oh, yeah. yeah. In Texas, yeah. I see an awful lot of Karening going on. <laughs> they off they also offer apologies, like I'm sorry if you were offended by. Well, <laughs> instead of just saying I'm sorry, I'm sorry for what I said. Yeah, right. the irony is, is they offer the c- customer service apology, which is a non-apology. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's like my question always immediate after that is, do you know what you're sorry for? Right. <laughs> because most of the time that answer tells me you don't know what you're sorry and for. And it's your fault for being offended. So I'm sorry right. if you got offended. And it's like, okay, so that one barista who took some shit from this lady because her, her order was wrong or something and he got a GoFundMe and then he, she, Angela, it was you who yeah. told me that she wanted part of that GoFundMe. Yeah, he's up to 65000 by the way. <laughs> <laughs> Holy crap. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, God. Wow. I hope he splits that with his... uh Workers, fellow workers. He's you got know, a dance shit. stream, yeah, I guess. So, because <laughs> I, I was going to say, because I'm sure that she was probably, she's probably been miserable to all of them over time. <sighs> yeah, I mean, you do share the tip jar, right? If you're working in a food <laughs> service, so yeah, the yeah, Starbucks be... barista gets sixty five thousand in tips after mask encounter with San Diego Karen. Oh god, oh god, yeah. There we go. And it's like, why do you think you're above wearing a mask? You have trouble breathing, and oh, don't get me started on that excuse. Right, right. But it so. wasn't even just that she felt like she didn't have to wear one or self-exempted herself. But she said, next time I'll just wait for the cops. What does that say? Yeah, I'm yeah. going to call the cops. I am pulling my damsel in distress card. Mm-hmm. The cops are my knight in shining armor. And they're going to show you. Yes. La, Period. La, la. Period. And really, that's that's what you're reduced to. That's what you're reduced to. That you have to call the cops to get what you want. You can't I'm talk tell to my somebody. Mom. It's yeah. like Nellie Olsen on steroids. Right. <laughs> what? Completely. She's the original Karen. She is. <laughs> Are we so helpless that we have to call everyone every time shit doesn't go your way? Are you serious right now? Yes, yeah, she was serious. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. and the moral of the story is don't be a Karen. Don't be that guy. Don't be that guy. Wear your mask. If you can't wear your mask... If you have some medical reason, I'm going to recognize there's a fraction of a fraction of people out there that have medical reasons not to wear a mask, make other arrangements. They have delivery. Someone can go get your Starbucks. Uh, There's coffee machines that you can have in your house that make coffee. I know. Shocker. (laughs) But and Amazon will deliver them to your door. Thank you. Right. Okay. Right. I hope this wasn't a 
petty conversation. I feel like we did have a point here. <laughs> um, we I hope you don't. We were planning on having a point when we started, <laughs> right? Um, I, I don't think this is a petty conversation. I think this is a good conversation to have because if you find your inner Karen creeping up because you're upset, frustrated, this isn't a good time for any of us. Hello. Yeah. <laughs> We're all suffering the same thing. And it's going to be longer if we don't start wearing these masks. Come on, guys. Wear the fucking mask, yeah. really. And Karening your way out of it. It's not going to... The disease doesn't care if you want to talk to the no. manager. Serious. Anything else to add to that? Because, yeah, I feel like I'm just griping now. No? Yeah, I think nope. we got it. Okay, we got it. There's just been so much so much of it on social Twitter. media, too. Yeah. I pretty much... Um, I have decided this year I'm not even going to reply to people's birthdays on Facebook. I'm so pissed at Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> I I really don't want to give Facebook the time of day anymore. It's... So here's a happy thing on Twitter. It's Tessa Dare, the uh, historical romance writer. Meanwhile, my daughter, Matt, why did you order a 615 page book on bestiality? Oh, <laughs> it's the grand medieval bestiary. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, she ordered the, uh, I think this is a companion book from the uh, Getty exhibit. Oh, nice. Nice. But nice. That made me laugh. <laughs> There you go. And there's your happy to end the save it for the show. Yeah, there, there are happy things on Twitter. <laughs> All right. Stick with us, guys. After this, we'll do lost thoughts and things we can't let go of. This podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you like to listen to your podcasts. You can contact us. Send us your thoughts. Email us at demonsdiscuss at gmail.com. Leave us a voicemail at 360-519-7836. By the way, your carrier rates apply here. Or leave one for free on SpeakPipe. SpeakPipe.com slant demonsdiscuss. Now, if you can't remember any of that, go to go.demonsdiscuss.com slant contact. And all that information will be there. You can also become a discusser there. Fill out the form and bam, you're a discusser. And the link to join our Facebook group is there too. Visit our main site, demonsdomain.com. And if you really feel like deep diving, go to visit.demonsdomain.com slant master post. And you can read interviews, geek out with weekly geeks about all souls universe. Read about the characters. Keep that geek flag flying, guys. Do you like what we do? Help us fund what we do. Go to patreon.com slant demons discuss. Make sure you follow us on social media. We are on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, all at Demons Discuss. If you're liking what you're hearing and you want to tell the world about it, leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. We love them. We read them. It's wonderful. Also, it keeps Angela alive, and we need her around, okay? Keep Jean, what's your last thought? Uh, my last thought has to do with the deep... Now that we're finally going back to book of life and the complexity of the characters there's so much going on in the i mean this book is moving relentlessly forward and full of information dumps and just moving 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 and fast it feels fast and but as we're going through this slowly chapter by chapter mm. there's a lot of complexity especially when it comes to Philippe and Fernando that we're starting to the, the slow pace we're taking is kind of letting us see it deep and see yeah yes. and think about and i don't think either one of them is going to end up being the people we think thought they were efficient well that we thought they were initially initially yeah okay i i agree there cuz i'm kind of getting a different light on i mean not negative 
negative or positive, just a different perspective. Characters like Fernando and characters like Phoebe. Normally, you go with your initial impression and say, I love that person. Mm -hmm. But it's very nuanced and there's a lot to see there. And I think that's something that Deb does really well as far as her secondary characters. Well, I think with both Fernando and Philippe, the initial you know, knee-jerk reaction with both of them is like, oh my God, I love this character. And there's a lot of glossing over of the less savory aspects of their characters. Right. Right. I agree. The less savory aspects of both of them is what makes them truly way more interesting. And relatable. Yes. And this is why we truly love Matthew. Because... As much as, oh, he's hot, he's this, he's that, he's he's old-fashioned, and he's... There's so many sides to Matthew that you don't know what side to grab onto and ride. <laughs> yeah. It's just, Hang there's on. so much. And she does that with her secondary characters as well. Mm-hmm. Yes. Where it's just, they're not just placeholders. There's substance there. So, yeah, I'm getting, I'm, I'm liking what I'm seeing, even though when we get to Gal Glass, his substance is <laughs> kind of diminished in my eyes a little bit. Oh, yeah. But yeah, but I mean, that just comes with the territory. So yeah. Angela, you have last thoughts, dude. Um, Not really, just this lull. It would be nice again. I feel like a broken record if just something, some kind of fandom news. Yeah, it just happens. Yeah. yeah. And and I guess that leads me to the sub last thought that maybe in the near future we can record our season three wish list. Oh, yeah. Yes. Maybe create our oh. own magic since we're waiting for news to happen. We might as well make our own magic. Let's do that for take 80. Okay. Instead of a character study, let's yes. do a wish list. Yeah, I like that. We don't have to wait for the the series to come out for us to proceed on and just do it. Yes. Okay, so my last thoughts are very simple. Fitzio pins, they are running out. So if you want one, go get one. We also have the vinyl car window stickers. Which is new. Which is new. And there are going to be only 50 of those guys. So if you want one, go get one. (laughs) What else? All Souls Con, as of now, as of June 27th, we don't have any word. So we're going to press on with our plans. And I think we have a subject. We're not going to tell you because that could change. And I was told not to obligate us to anything. (laughs) 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 So uh, I'm just going to say, I think we have a subject that we can work on and we're going to tackle and... uh, It'll be good. It'll be good. It will be good. And very timely. How's that? Yes. Yeah, that's good. And I hope you're all staying safe. If you're in one of the states where the COVID numbers have risen up, well, buckle down. (laughs) (laughs) That's it. That's all I have to say. I'm staying home for the month of July again. So I won't be going anywhere anytime soon. Gene, I know you're going to be staying at home. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Angela, yes, me too. Yeah. Yeah, I think the opposite end of the spectrum is happening here. It's like our numbers peaked up a little bit and the governor's like, yeah, no, shut it back down. It's like, oh, shit, we've only been open for two weeks. Why? Yeah, you got the smack. (laughs) It's like, okay. so let's do the right thing and get through this, guys. It's not hard to wear a mask. It's not hard to socially distance. This sucks. But like we said before in other episodes, life as we know it has changed. Embrace the suck. Do the change. (laughs) Fuck it. I don't know. Uh, anything anybody <laughs> I hate to end it on that note um, <laughs> um, but I guess we are so yeah anything else we have to say can go to the after show 
right? Yeah. Yep. All right. Let's say goodbye, everybody. Bye, everybody. Bye. Everybody. Bye. Bye. Demon kiss. We'll talk to you next time. Peace out. Yo. <laughs> <laughs> 